Hey, today on All Business, we're making a trip to the kitchen, and I love going to the kitchen. And we're going to be with trained culinary expert, food writer, and TV personality, Gail Simmons. After getting her start writing restaurant reviews, Gail continued to excel in her career by working at legendary restaurants like a very famous one known as Le Cirque here in New York City, as well as for the esteemed Vogue as a food critic. She went on to become the director of special projects at Food and Wine and used her extensive expertise to be a judge for the past 12 seasons. Can you believe that? 12 seasons on Bravo's, uh, the Emmy-winning series, Top Chef. Wow. And it's now entering its 13th season. Gail joins me to talk about her career and some inside stories from the Top Chef set. I don't think she's going to tell me all that stuff, but we're going to give it a shot. So please welcome Gail Simmons. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. I first see that you're from McGill. What did you study in school? I studied anthropology and Spanish language. Get the heck out, really? So how did yeah. that, how did that prepare you to be a chef and, and, and be this food magnet that you are now? Um, in every possible way. Um, <laughs> what is the language of kitchens spoken in America? Ah, it's, it's Hispanic, right? I mean, it's all Spanish. Yes, yeah. Spanish, for oh, sure it is. And right. what is food except a way that we convey our culture, our tradition? Our history, that is anthropology, and food is completely anthropological. Yeah, now, but you, now you've, you've fashioned that answer after you got into the business, though, right? I mean, you didn't, you didn't start um, with that in mind, right? No, well, I certainly didn't take anthropology because I knew I wanted to be in food. I had no <laughs> idea I wanted to be in food until after I graduated college. But what I did know when I was in college is that I was drawn to cultural anthropology and especially to learning about the different foods of every culture in the world. And so that's always been a point of interest for me, and I realized that my interest in food and my interest in culture were so completely linked. I always wanted to work in food, but not just as a chef. I wanted to study our culture and how we eat and why we eat and how that connects us to the people around us, to our shared history, and, you know, why some people eat with chopsticks and others eat with a spoon, fork, and knife, why some people have certain traditions around their table for holidays and others don't, or what those different traditions may be. So it's all very connected, and I realized once I got into food that my anthropology background really helped me. You know, I, I tell you, I didn't even expect to, this this to even take this way, but this is what I find to be most interesting. I love great conversations, and I know we're going to have a good one already because you just intrigue me, and it makes me want to ask more questions. Like when you say, great. "Yeah, <laughs> like like chopsticks versus forks." What's the deal with that? Well, you're going to have to become an anthropology major. No, truthfully, <laughs> you know, there's there's hundreds of years of of, of history, yeah, um, and 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 really the nomadic ways that we all got to different parts of the world that we uh, that we live in. Sure. So, sure. you know, there's reasons there's reasons that food is regional. There's reasons that when you eat pasta in northern Italy, you're eating it with different things than in southern Italy because of their climate, because of their history, because of their immigrant population that influence those different parts of the same country. And the same goes for anywhere in the world. There's a reason that people in the north in the northeast of the states 
eat certain foods and people in the South eat completely different foods. has a lot to do with their farming, their immigration patterns, their climate, and the years and years of passed on oral and written tradition, right? Yeah, see, I don't think we think about those things, which is the makeup. You know, if I'm in business, for instance, I'm going to think through those things in terms of product differences, the way we use a different camera in one country or over another, or phone, um, you know, all those kind of things. So it makes sense that that would be the same thing. So when when I look at you as a business, what what is your business now? Well, I actually have two businesses. Um, the first business is oddly the business of me. The yeah. business of Gail Simmons. So, yeah. I mean, I have a company name, but it's really about me as a physical entity and me, whether it's on television or consulting for companies, doing guest appearances and speaking engagements, um, appearing on television, appearing, um, you yes, know, on speaking radio. everything. I mean, it's exactly. a yeah, it's, you're, you're your own brand. I mean, it's the same for me as well. Uh, although you're Writing. much, much, much better eye candy than me, but well, yeah. just a big difference. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, you know, but exactly writing, writing books, yeah. um, and and all of the media that I do that is specifically Gail Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my one company, and then I have, and I have, you know, various clients, ten, fifteen clients at any given time, um, where I that I do different things for in different capacities. Um, but all people who hire me for me. And yeah. it could only be me filling that job, um, like being on television. And then the second company is a production company that I founded about a year and a half ago with a partner, um, and we produce content. So it's television content, it can be mobile, um, it can be digital in, in different capacities, but the mission of that company, and that company is called Bumble Pie Production, is really to find smart, creative new content that supports and focuses on women in the food media and, oh. and the world of food. Oh, wow. Which is a natural extension for you. So what, what, do you find, what do you find that's similar to being a chef and being in business? I think that they're the same thing. Yeah. A chef is a business person. Uh, you know, I think that that's the only reason we find people dare to speak about. People like to think that chefs are artists and creators, and sure they are, but at the end of the day, if you're a chef, that means you're the head of a kitchen. If you're the head of a kitchen, it means you're the boss. It means you're managing people. It means you're calling in orders. It means you're dealing with bottom line. It means you're dealing with customer service. It means you're dealing with hospitality. It means you're dealing with return on investment, P&L lines. You know, it's all about business. People own restaurants not to cook for their own women fancy, but to make money, and mm-hmm. that's the business. Yeah, which is, so how did you get from restaurant reviews, which you started off early in your career doing, to, to being a TV star and then doing the other business now? Uh, a long and arduous path. I never set out to be on television. Yeah. I, as I said, studied in college and started writing restaurant reviews for my college paper. And when I graduated from college, all of my friends seemed to know exactly what they wanted to do. Some of them wanted to be lawyers or doctors or get MBA, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. All I knew was that I loved to eat, but I really didn't realize that that could be a full-time job. Um, I graduated, I moved home to my parents' basement. It was a dismal little while in my life. My parents were panicked that I was directionless, but I knew I loved to travel, I loved to write, and I loved to eat. And finally, through some coaching and advising from friends and, and mentors, I realized that that was something I could do full-time and that could actually be a job if I was smart about it. So I went to work. Um, my first job was as an intern at a local magazine. Uh, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, 
and they have an amazing city magazine there called Toronto Life, and I got an internship there. And when I was there, I was doing all sorts of things for all parts of the magazine. You know, it's a general city magazine, like New York Magazine, for example, or Los Angeles Magazine. And um, I found myself drawn to the food critic and the food editor time and time again and would follow them around and kind of realized that was what I was most interested in. I loved to cook. I loved to eat out. They let me write small things after a little while. And then from there, I went to work for a newspaper. And the same thing happened. I was following around the food critic, following around the food editor. Finally, they said, look, Gail, if this is what you want to do, if you really want to write about food, if that's your passion, you got to go learn and study food because anyone can write that's what you have editors for. You need to become an expert because I, I know that you like food and you like to eat, but that doesn't mean you know anything about it, which is very humbling. At 23 years old or 22 years old, you don't realize that you have to differentiate yourself and you can't just, well, I like television. Let's go make television. You know, it was a rude awakening. And so I did just that. I picked up and packed up, moved to New York City, went to culinary school, enrolled in full-time professional culinary school, learned how to cook, became a professional cook, went and worked in kitchens where I did the hardest work I'd ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tough that, work. That's tough work. It, it really is. It's extraordinary yeah, work. Yeah. It is hard work. It is grueling. It is manual labor until you are at the top of your career where you're actually the one doing the creating. But for the first six, eight, ten years of a cook's life, you're just putting your head down and executing someone else's vision. And, and you have so, to pay your um, you have to pay your dues there too, don't that's you? That's right. Yeah. That's right. You know, it takes it takes a long time to be a chef. People throw the term chef around very lightly. People love to call me a chef, and I have to tell you, Jeff, I'm not a chef. Mm-hmm. A chef is the leader of a kitchen. A chef, the word chef is a French word for boss. So to be a chef, to me, you need to be in charge of a kitchen, cooking every day. And I certainly am not in charge of any kitchens, but my own home kitchen, thank goodness. <laughs> um, so I'm a culinary professional, but I'm not a chef. But that was the greatest, hardest, most informative work I'd ever done in my life, and it really allowed me to speak the language of the kitchen and understand the life of chefs and the hard work that they do, the very special work, admirable work that they do. So um, it gave me a great foundation, and from there I knew I wanted to be a writer. That's what I had originally set out to do. So I went back into writing. I worked for a food critic uh, for Vogue magazine for two years, and by the name of Jesse Steingarten. And then I got offered a job with Chef Danielle Boulou, who's one of the greatest French chefs of our time, oh, I believe. Yeah, big, yeah, um, big, he's big time. He's amazing, an amazing mentor, amazing teacher, and a fantastic chef, of course, an empire builder. And I worked for him for three years, actually in a different capacity, not um, in an editorial capacity, but in marketing and in special events and... Mm. That was really an MBA in the restaurant business. He helped me to understand what it takes to run a restaurant, not just write about beautiful food and talk about beautiful food, but to actually deal with the nuts and bolts of the business of food. And that was a massive education for me. Where was that? And at? I helped where, where at? In New York City. In New York. Right at, at my, my office was in the basement of his flagship restaurant, Danielle. Mm-hmm. But I helped him open restaurants. I helped him write books. I helped him run events, do all his charity work do all his television work, and it was through him that I came to know the people at Food & Wine Magazine, and about 11 years ago, they offered me a job there that really allowed me to mix together the editorial stuff, the journalism, and my marketing and, and social skills, and I went to work for them, really managing part of their marketing and events department, but a year into the job, Bravo came to Food & Wine asking to on talk chefs this crazy new show they had an idea to make, and they asked if I would 
do a screen test, and ultimately they put me on the show as a representative of food and wine at the judges' table, and I've been doing it ever since, and it's now been 10 years and 13 seasons. Oh, it's in a great show, and, and think of all the franchises that it's that it's yeah. spawned. I mean, a, a ton of franchises. It's unbelievable. Franchises yeah. and um, imposters, and, 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 and I shouldn't say yeah, imposters, sure. franchises and um, imitators yeah. and competitors. <laughs> Sure. And we've ourselves done three different spin-offs of the show that I've been part of. Top Chef Chef Desserts, Top Chef Masters, Top Chef Duels. There's a Top Chef Quickfire Wine. There's Top Chef Cruises. There's a Top Chef Trivia Game. There's a Top Chef University online app. I mean, there's really an amazing amount of, uh, of stuff that's come out of the show. Most importantly, there are probably a hundred restaurants in this country that didn't exist until Top Chef came yeah, on the it's air. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, even in my town, hometown of Sioux, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, somebody's you know has gone through the show and is open to play. So it's 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 there you go. You know, it's just it's just fun to see that. And but quite frankly, and it and it brings a great deal of notoriety too. It it, it, it elevates the business. It, does. it really has. I I think that's one of the biggest things I think I can learn from what you guys have done is that you've elevated the food business to a, a great art. Like like it is in Europe or in other parts of the world. Right. We didn't have that. I don't it's, think we had that true. 10 years ago. I don't think we had 10, 20 years ago, let's say, chefs were really um, behind the kitchen door. They were they were not in front of the camera, certainly. They weren't even really out in the dining room. To be a chef was really a, a grueling, behind-the-scenes job. You put your head down, and you worked hard. You got screamed at. And if you were lucky, you became a chef yourself one day. Yeah. Um, but it was hard manual labor. You know, I talked to some of my colleagues, like Tom Felicio or, um, or others, and they tell me that when they, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, told their parents they were going to be chefs, their parents were afraid for them because they knew it would be a really hard, difficult, grueling, physical life. But now people, you know, I'm going, I'm going to Harvard on Monday to teach a class at Harvard on food science with Tom because... Harvard is now teaching about the life of Jeff. So that just shows you how far this it's gone. Is. That's big time. Well, you're making me hungry. I got to talk about a friend, <laughs> some friends of mine. In in my opinion, there is one thing that pairs well with a good dessert, and it's a good cup of coffee. And I don't think I'm alone in that belief. My friends over at Dunkin' sell more than 30 cups of coffee every single second. America is running on Dunkin', and so is all business with Jeffrey Hazlitt. So swing by your local Dunkin' today for a sweet treat and a cup of Joe. Do you, are you a are, you like desserts? I know that. I looked at a lot of your back. Background. Um, do you do you ever do any any Dunkin' Donuts? You know, I've been known to engage once in a while. How can you resist? <laughs> you can't. Uh, a lot of road trips. A lot of road trips for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, I try not to only eat sweets. You got you got to balance it all. So moderation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You, well, and I'm I gotta imagine. I'm, I'm going to get into that. I think that's probably a, a a bad thing about the job is the fact that you actually do have to eat a lot, and that's got to be a. That is good. Be, it's a privilege. Yeah. It's an honor. Um. And and it is it is a a, a luxury for sure. Yeah. But it also comes with the fact that the more I eat, the harder I have to work to keep myself healthy. Yeah, I, I think that's probably. I, I would be 500 pounds if I had your job in, in a heartbeat. Well, people say that, but it's not true. I mean. Some of it's genetics, but I live in New York City, and I don't own a car, and I take the subway to work every day, and I walk. We walk everywhere in New York. We do walk everywhere. We walk everywhere. I I say if if I lived in another city in the world and did this job, I'd probably gain a lot more weight than I do because I'm a pretty active person. But, you know, it's like any job. I think the eating part is 
kind of an occupational hazard, and it comes with the territory. So I owe it to myself, to my family, to stay healthy. So if I'm going to eat, I'm going to be active, and I'm lucky that my my husband is a great supporter and and collaborator, and he loves to eat with me, but he also loves to get outside and go for a run with me. And we have an active two-year-old with him keeps us on our toes as well. Yeah, that's cool. I want to get back to the chef thing because it, it's, it is very interesting. I do a lot of entertaining um, with clients and, and the, the things that I do because I've bought and sold so many businesses over my sure. career. And, yeah. you know, but I do know the chefs because I've always found one of the best pieces of advice that it was someone gave me years ago. In every city, I go into a couple of restaurants and I really get to know them, get to, you know, I, first I got to like them, get to know them, and then I get to know the chef so that when I go back in there again and I'm entertaining, you know, like I'll give you a good example. In, in, in Las Vegas, I always go to Delmonico Steakhouse. Um, Great steakhouse. You got it. And Emeril Lagasse and his entire yeah. team, they treat me like king, like king, mm-hmm. a king. And so I get the I get the chef's table. The chefs come out. I, I'll know them, I know them all by name. They come over. They sign books for the guest. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of a nice thing. And but again, that's huge. Yeah, it, it's that elevation that we've seen, and I think you guys are a huge, huge part of that. Well, I think that the important thing here is to remember that chefs are in the business of hospitality, and they want you to return and be a a regular customer because that's important for them to build that trust with their clients. And if they see someone who appreciates what they do and they can make that experience for that person even better, that person's going to return again and again. And it's it's about relationships like that that not only help them and their bottom line, but then in turn help you, help your clients, make your clients feel great about working with you, make you feel great about your experience, and you also know that you're getting attention and, and a real hospitality experience. And that's what, when chefs are smart, they know exactly how to do perfectly. Yeah, I, and I like the way you said that, because I did figure out how much money I was sending there a year. Uh, and I sent them about, yeah, about 60 grand a year, because there I go to Vegas a lot. And yeah, and, and I'm a so that I'm a top just like it you know when I fly on one particular airline United I'm exactly. in the top one half of one percent those yeah. folks take care of me and that's, well, that's and, and that's it and that's a chef's job and that's a restaurant's job and they don't do it because they're just being nice I mean they like you because you appreciate their work you appreciate the quality products they're putting out and so it's a mutual beneficial experience you get extra attention you get vip service because you continue to show loyalty and that's a basic business relationship which i think people actually don't take advantage of enough i there's nothing better there's no better feeling than than the cheers model right going to a place where everyone knows your Mm -hmm. name everyone aspires to that but and that but that also comes with a level of mutual respect so you can't just throw your weight around and throw money around the chef's want to know that you're respecting the work that they're doing and if you repeat and come back with different people and and appreciate their craft they're always going to make sure that you're welcome and that they're going to accommodate you in special ways well that's that relationship i mean i think that's a key that you mentioned before i i want to ask you a couple i got fan questions because uh it was i always ask fans you know hey give me some uh some of the uh the key things you like so jeff wilson uh linkedin he wrote in he said it might be interesting to get Gail's perspective on meal kit delivery services like Blue Apron, Plated, and Sunbasket. Has she tried them? Does she like or dislike them? Are they worth it? I thought that was a great question because that's a new trend. A that's question. a big Very trend. Very relevant. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, I, I feel really good about them. I think they're not for everyone. 
Uh, I've tried a few of them for sure, and over the years there's been different incarnations of them. Um, they're not... They're, look, I think we all struggle with the same issue. We None of us have enough time of the day, yep. enough time to sit and, and eat a meal with our families, enough time to grocery shop and enough time to spend cooking. But I want to eat healthfully and I don't want to eat out every night, but it needs to be easy because I get home at 8 o'clock at night after a long day at work. I don't want to have to worry about going to the grocery store and then spending an hour preparing something to get a good, nutritious, healthy meal. So I think these delivery services have been really savvy about making it easy for you. Um, you know, I think to varying degrees, for me, I'm sort of an all-or-nothing girl because I'm a pretty confident professional-level cook. When I want to cook, I really want to cook. And when I don't want to cook at the end of the day, I don't want to cook at all. So I kind of don't want to just cook halfway. To me, I find that the halfway is too much work that I want to do, but not enough work to really get into it. So I might not be the perfect person for some of those services. Um, but I also know a lot of my friends who are good home cooks, have an interest, want to learn a little bit, but don't have the time or the knowledge to really dig into cooking that's going to take a big part of their afternoon or evening. And that is why they love them. I have friends who are super loyal to, to those services, and obviously there's millions of people, or else there wouldn't be such a big market. So I think overall they're all doing a great service to, to all of us because they're getting people to spend time thinking about what they eat, taking, even if it's just five minutes, to not just scarf down food on the dough, but to take a participatory and interactive um, stance in the kitchen, even if it's just to finish off a dish. Well, take great, it takes greater ownership of you, too. I mean, yeah, it, and it, it does. It yeah. gives people, it does. It gives people ownership that empowers them in the kitchen, yeah. and slowly they'll learn more and more, and then hopefully take it on themselves. When they which, you, which one do you think is going to do better? The, the fully, I, I'm going to say, the fully prepared one, or or is it the one where you could go in and you kind of, because I've seen one, another model, I don't know which one it is, but where you actually go in and you kind of work with them for the week and you prepare everything for the week. You know, I think they serve different purposes. I yeah. think some are better for families, some are better for individuals, uh, some are better, um, you know, on weekends and some on weekdays. It's hard to say. I don't know enough about the statistics of them actually to really know. Um, but it's an interesting comparison, you know. As I said, personally, as as a my own as a consumer myself, I I like the all or nothing. So I I'd rather spend my weekends doing really big cooking projects and then have my weekdays where I can just go into the fridge, get something that's fully done, warm it up, and finish. Yeah. But I'm not everyone for sure. Yeah. Do by the way, what's your favorite food? I have no favorite food. It's whatever's in front of me. So, uh, so you, no, don't, really no, you don't have a uh, just, favorite ethnic food or something like that that you like? I, I, I really don't. I, mm. I really have to say uh, there are certain things that I'm drawn to, but that's the beauty of the life we live in this country. I can crave yeah. Thai one day and Italian the next and Filipino the next and Japanese the next. And, um, yeah, but, you know, if you, but, if you're, all right, but let me ask you this question. If you, let's say, imagine you, you did something really bad and you had one day to live, all right? And let's just say that, or your last meal on death row. <laughs> Not to say that you right. have to have that, right? Right, but, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, but we've all been asked that question at cocktail parties. Well, what would, what would be the meal that you would have? Um, it'd probably be a little of everything. I mean, I would definitely want a big bowl of sea urchin pasta with chilies and lemon zest and, um, you know, something really Southern Italian that I can dig into, because mm -hmm. the pasta base. I probably want, a, if I'm going to be 
on my last day on earth anyway. I want a big far-grilled steak. Yeah. Um, but bone-in ribeye. A bone-in ribeye would be at the top of my sure, list. Sure. Yeah. I'll take it. There you go. I'd also want something spicy and and sour and sweet, something that would be maybe Southeast Asian-inspired. I love spicy food. I love really authentic Thai or Vietnamese food, so I'd want something like that. You like, you like Indian want, food? How about Indian food? I do. I love I like Indian it. food, yeah, I do for too. sure. Um, I just made uh, some chana masala the other day. And I uh, I also want something really decadent for dessert, like a really rich butterscotch pudding or mm. a multi-layer chocolate cake with I'm getting so hungry now. I'm getting really up. hungry. See, now <laughs> I'm thinking about rice. I like rice pudding. I love rice pudding. That's what I like. That's one of my I favorite. love rice pudding, too. I really do. And uh, there's a great... Have you ever been to that one place in New York City? Uh, seeing how we uh, both live here? Yeah, of course. Rice yeah, to Rice to Riches. Home. Yeah, Rice to Riches. Yeah. yeah, on Spring Street. Yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. What, what's been um, What's been the best piece of business advice you've ever gotten? Oh, God. I've gotten a lot. I've been lucky to have some pretty great mentors. I would say keep your mouth shut so that you can listen. <laughs> Listen's good. But your mouth... Open just enough so that you can taste. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I and like you. that. Yeah, I talk there about that. I always talk about the, one of the greatest business things when people ask me what it is. I said, well, it's it's listening and then focus, but it's also being uh, being open to being aware of what you're not aware of, which is kind of what you're saying on the taste. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I like the I like that's the way you, I like the way you said it better. It's, to me, it's it's easier to understand yours than mine, which I think is pretty good. What was well, that? it's the same. It's that idea that you need to respect and be able to keep your mouth shut and listen and and learn and not be a know-it-all, yeah. but also be open to experiences and opportunities. What's the what's and the, take risk? Yeah, that which you need to take risk. Everybody should take risk. No one's going to die, especially the stuff where you and I are talking about right now. No one's going to mm-hmm. die. What what what's been the toughest part of your of your job or career and the things that you do? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, right now, probably, I always say that the best and worst part of my job is the travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I love traveling. It really is a core belief of mine in terms of the world of food. I and mean, I don't think there's any way to be an authority on food without traveling because the world is what informs and inspires me every day, the greater world that we live in. Um, at the same time, I have to spend a lot of time on the road for my job and that gets complicated and, and hard as I get older and have a family and, and loved ones that I have to be away from and work that I have to be away from, especially my, my daughter. It's hard to leave her, so I try to take her with me as long as I can and as, as much as I can, but that's not always possible. So that's sort of the best and worst piece of what I do, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you t- do you take your your children? You're, you have one, da- one daughter? Or? I have one daughter, right. yeah. Do you take her on trips with you for, for business? I do. I mean, I'm lucky that my show, Top Chef, uh, we have to travel for five or six weeks of the year, and there's so many of us now, after 10 years of working together, that all of my children, and because we're traveling for these long spans, I, I can take my daughter and, yeah. and a lot of our crew and, and, and other cast members do, too. Uh, the contestants can't, but the judges can't. So, you know, we shoot, like, we just shot our, our 13th season in California, and we were going up and down the coast, and she came along for the ride. You know, I'm lucky that I could bring with me um, my amazing caregiver who, um, who helps you know, you, has been helps, with me helps you do the things you do. For so long, and allows me the possibility to work 
and so she can come with me, but I know that I can always put her to bed at night or be with her in the morning. And I work sort of odd hours, so I often, as much as the hours are long, they're not traditional nine to five hours, so I often do get to spend more time with my child even when I'm on the road. Sometimes I work one day on, one day off. Sometimes I only work starting at noon, and I work until 10 at night, but I know that I get my whole morning to her, you know, things like that. So it's just about being a little bit flexible, and she's become a great traveler. Well, and that's a great that's a great luxury to have. And I did that. My both of my children work in the business with me today. Which oh is wow, great. that's and, amazing! You know, and and my daughter when she was young, uh, more so than my son, but my daughter used to go with me when she was very little. And and I used to do speeches and, and keynotes, and I used to sell tapes. And my daughter would be in the back of the room selling the tapes when she was six and seven years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. So great. You're a great example well, you're setting for her. Well, I, I did my best. And she's, and by the way, she's one of the best salespeople there is in the world. I, I You said something that was a quote, and my team does a great job pulling these, and, and I love this one. It says, patience is the secret to good food. And I thought that was a great a great thing. for. <laughs> but that's also good for life and business, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's, I, when I said it in context, I meant it in several ways. Obviously, you need to have some patience in the cooking process, in the coaxing process of food. Um, there is some improvisation and some food happens very quickly, but really great food, you know, you need to be patient with to let dough rise, to let things set, to let things simmer or braise or stew, to, to, to layer and and encourage flavor building. That takes time, and it takes practice. It takes time in the immediate moment. It doesn't take time in terms of years of practice and patience to perfect your skill. You know, a chef doesn't become a chef overnight. There's no such thing as an, as an overnight success, as you well know, in any industry. In anything, um, right, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the idea of patience is a good lesson, and it can mean patience in multiple ways, not just in one specific dish, but in the idea of forming a career in cooking. You know, um, I, I just love the way you said that, and I, I love the, the whole thought around that, because that's just a way of doing life, a way of doing business, you know, and a way of just right. existing, which is awesome. You know, sometimes the unknowing asks me some questions, like, why would you have somebody like Gail on a business show? And, <laughs> you know, and I said, well, well, first of all, I, and when somebody asked me a question like that, I, I said, well, listen, think about this first. First of all, she's hugely popular. Right. So just that alone is good for my business and good for hers. So and, right. you know, I'm popular, so it's good for her, too. But I Absolutely. said, you know, I said, how much business is done around a table at a restaurant or That's around someone's right. home or a backyard or whatever? It, it's 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 a massive, massive thing. And it can make or break some business deals. Oh, there's no question. I think that um, the table, you know, literally and figuratively, is is the major foundation of how we conduct our lives. Meals um, and breaking bread is traditionally how all business is done. That's absolutely true. I don't think people forget that in order for me to do what I do, I'm actually an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I'm forging my own business. I own two businesses, and I'm working in an industry that is evolving and changing immensely at this moment and growing exponentially. So. Um, I, I, I am an entrepreneur in every traditional way. In fact, I, I teach at Babson. At Babson, I was just going to say. Mass, yeah. Mass yeah did and you, I work, did, on, I work got, on entrepreneurship for them. Yeah, I was going to say, you just got named entrepreneur in residence at Babson College, right? Correct. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time with their students and their MBA students working on their businesses. 
the business of food is a multi-billion dollar business yeah. in this country and around the world. And I have a voice in that business, so I must be doing something, right? You know, I... I, I would, I'm putting food on the table. <laughs> I, I, would bet, I would bet that it's probably the biggest business in the world, food, period. It's got to be. I mean, it's, it's what sustains us, the preparation, the growing, uh, you know, the whole food chain of food, so to speak, uh, has got to be the biggest business, biggest industry in the entire world. I don't know mm-hmm. that, but I would think so. I mean, it has to be if you think about the fact that that's what I find so funny. I often get asked, um, you know, how, how, how is your, how, why is food so popular? Why is it so trendy? And I'm like, food's not trendy. We are um, living beings. Every single one of us has to eat three times a day. Yeah. Food is not a trend. Food is survival, so we may as well enjoy it. Um, and I think people forget that, that people say, well, I'm not a foodie. Well, you're a human. Yeah. So you eat, which makes you engage in the conversation. You're part of the conversation. You're part of the dialogue because you're human. And the act of cooking is actually what differentiates us as a species, as a civilized species. The fact that we became human, we became different from our mammal relatives and other primates when we learned how to create fire and when we learned how to cook. And that is what differentiates us as, as a species. And so we are all part of it. We all have to do it to survive. Hey, it's good to have the good folks from Liberty Tax on board at All Business. Liberty is the fastest growing retail tax preparation firm ever with 4,000 offices or more than 4,000 offices across North America. It's a great seasonal franchise opportunity too. So if you're looking to get into business, add another service to your business or just need great tax prep services, look to Liberty and it'll help you keep track of all the food you're eating too. So getting back to the anthropology, I think, I'm going to ask you a quick quick thing about trends and then I want to get into rapid fire because I got to put you on the hot seat so uh or we should say hot plate I'll say it with that way but um I think we're gonna we're gonna see some changes in in a lot around food in the next decade and that's because I think we're getting very smart about what we eat and how we eat and I think for a a lot of years or decades uh, you know our food didn't look like food and uh and I think we're getting you know we're more organic more gluten-free, more this, more farm-to-table. I think we're going to look where our food is sourced more from than we have in the past. Don't you think that's going to be the case? I hope so. You know, it kind of ebbs and flows. We started as an agrarian society where that was what everyone did. I mean, even not so long ago, in the, let's say, 30s, 40s, we spent a lot, in 50s even, we started, we spent a lot more time um, because that was just how you ate, you you know, there wasn't this mass processing of food. And then and then food became very processed, and, and fast food was introduced, and uh, convenience food was introduced, and that really changed the way America ate, and it caused all sorts of problems. It also caused all sorts of conveniences, and it advanced our, yeah. our industry in a, million, in a million ways. And now I think we're trying to find the balance. They're both happening simultaneously. We recognize that the food system is broken in a lot of ways, and we really need to get back to the unprocessing of our lives, the unprocessing of our ingredients, because it's doing some damage. Um, but at the same time, we need to move into the future, and we need to feed a vastly growing population, and how do you do that in a modern, efficient way? So I, I, I think you're right that I hope that the more we educate people on where their food comes from, and the more we support our craftsmen and our artisans and our farmers and our purveyors and producers at a local level and understand 
the food system, we will be able to really help our food system and, and help our communities. But we also need to move into the future efficiently. And so I don't think that the processing of food is either going to go away anytime soon either. So how do you balance? Yeah, I don't know. It's not going to go away. It's here to stay. But I do think there's going to be some some balancing out of the yeah. way in which we do it. And, and by the I way, in so. most things so. in business, there's good and there's bad, and you got to figure out what those are. I don't think anyone, you know, wakes up in the morning in business and says, "Let's just go stick it to somebody." Um, that's right. Yeah, I don't think that's been the case. But all right, rapid fire. Here we go. This is going to make it easy right off the bat first, so you can't you can't miss these. Because you're gonna right. choose, you're gonna choose. So here we go. Favorite foods: uh, ice cream or cake. Ice cream. Okay. What kind of ice cream? Uh, mint chocolate chip. Really? Or I like. Oh, I like salty caramel. Oh, I like uh, I like uh, black uh, cherry nut. I like that. All right. Okay. Sh- champagne or uh, martini? Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh-huh. Probably a martini. I'm going to go martini. Yeah, I would have thought you were a martini person, just the way you talk. <laughs> I, I, I thought that. Okay, how about, I, I think I know this one, too. Uh, mint chocolate or chocolate raspberry? Oh, mint chocolate. Yeah, you just sure. we gave that away. Okay, Brussels, <laughs> Brussels sprouts or cauliflower? Ooh, a tough one. Yeah, I like them both. They both have to be cooked well, or I don't like either of them. But as long as they're roasted with a little flavor, uh, let's go with cauliflower. It's yeah, you can do more with cauliflower, I think, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I like, you know what, we've we started substituting mashed potatoes with a mashed cauliflower. Great. I love it. See, that's I, the stuff I love. That's yeah. really smart. We do that. We do that Thanksgiving this year, and we, we don't tell anybody, and I hope my family's right. not listening, but that's what we served, and they didn't know the difference. That's great. <laughs> it was awesome. Okay, these are harder, okay? In what state was the cheeseburger from? You got a chance one out of 50. I'm going to tell you that right now. So. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. That's all right. I have to say that I'm not American. It's going to be yeah, hard. you're Canadian. Um, you're Canadian. I remember so- when the hamburger was, I know the hamburger was introduced at, like, the World's Fair. Where did that take place? Cheeseburger, I don't know. Let's say uh, Iowa. Oh, not, not too far away. Colorado. Okay. Colorado, yeah, the dri- drive-in owner Lewis uh, Ballas trademark trademarked the cheeseburger on March the fifth, nineteen thirty-five. He never formally endorsed his trademark, and uh, and the Humpty Dumpty uh, Barrel Restaurant where the cheeseburger was created no longer stands. But if you go there, there's a stone carving on the side of the road that designates the site of its birth. I thought well, that, that man was a genius. Yeah. Oh, this is this is one of my favorite ones. Uh, what state hunts and eats? their state bird california nope it's it's south dakota where i'm from it's the pheasant the chinese ringneck pheasant oh. it's like well, one california of, does too though because california state bird is a quail is it really yeah okay oh i'm gonna talk to my team so there's two well, <laughs> so there could be two so i'm gonna give you that one so you got you lost one but half a point right. for that one okay all right this okay. one you should get because this is a canadian question all right what yep. is a pea meal bacon sandwich? Oh, but that bacon. It's Canadian bacon. Oh yeah. And where's the one that where's one of the best ones that you could possibly get? Well, I mean, as a Canadian, I'll tell you, I am from Toronto and the best thing you could possibly get is in Toronto at the St. Lawrence Market. St. Lawrence Market. 
it's, it's fr- I will. I used to get, I used to live in Rochester when I was working at Kodak, and sometimes I would drive up for the weekend just to have one of those bacon sandwiches. See, there you go. Yeah, it was that good because it was you know it was about a three and a half hour drive. But you know I thought what the heck I got nothing going on, on the weekend I go up to Toronto go watch uh, the comedy show and I'd stick oh, around. Perfect. Yeah, and go to the next it's a morning. Great sandwich. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is it is phenomenal and everybody talks about it. Okay, that was good. So pretty good. So I give you you know you 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 got one and a half. That was pretty good. That's you, you did you did very very well. Uh, okay, a, lot of, a lot of people really suck at Thank it. Thank you. So you did a nice Thank job. You. Hey, I want to give you a chance. You you've been so wonderful and it's just been a pleasure. Uh, I give you a chance for a shameless plug, whatever you like to plug. Well, I'd love to plug my my new season of Top Chef. It just premiered this week on Bravo, and from now on for the rest of the season, it's on Thursday night, I believe at nine p.m. and it's an amazing season. Top Chef season thirteen on Bravo. You're going to give us any any hints of what's going to what it's going to be like, or we're we going to see anything? Well, we're moving up and down the coast of California, from L.A. to Palm Springs, Santa Barbara, San Diego, San Francisco, Oakland. The chefs are more talented, more award-winning, award-nominated than they've ever been before. The challenges, the guest stars, and guest judges are pretty amazing. You're in for some surprises. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks so much, Jeff. Take All right. Care. We'll see you. Cheers. All the best. Okay. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, after every single show, I like to do a little bit of what I learned, and I learned a lot today. It was fun to listen to her and to, in, in, you know, exchange, going back and forth in some of our conversations. And what I really liked was, hey, the word chef, French for boss, because in every business, you need a boss. And it's kind of interesting when you watch these shows, you hear, yes, chef, no, chef, you know, yes, sir, no, sir. A little bit of that's not a bad thing to bring back into business. But more importantly, everybody knows who the boss is in the kitchen. And I think you need that in your business. So it's very clear as to who are, uh, you know, the, the key people holding the promises from everybody that needs to deliver them. So you always get a customer and you always get a performer. And it's good to know who the person is that's the customer or the boss in this case, and that's the chef. And so that's cool. The other thing is the the, the, the sense of hospitality, of, of what they want to be able to do in running a, a restaurant in terms of taking care of you so that you'll come back. So it's always about hospitality. I've learned a lot in business. It's always that servant mentality of taking care of others, whether they're your employees or whether they're your customers. So there's some lessons learned today. So don't forget, this has been All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on cbsplay.it and don't forget to tell your friends make sure that they get a chance at the all business smorgasbord and tell them to download and subscribe it thanks so much and we'll see you again soon This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.